a way to respond to God. How does God deal with those who deserve nothing but wrath in a surprising way? We see in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, Jesus' response to a sinful woman. If you're here and you're new, we want to welcome you. This church, we want to welcome both the affluent and the poor, the haves and the have-nots. So whether you slept in the, uh, whether you slept in the, in the park bench next door, or you slept in the penthouse across the street, I want you to know that you're welcome here, and that we love you, and we want you to see, we want to see you grow in Christ, and we ourselves want to grow in Christ with you. But all you have surrounding you are broken people, and no Puerto Ricans, because today is the Puerto Rican Day Parade, and they all decided to go to the parade. I am the only Puerto Rican here. It's terrible. Me in the front row. <laughs> all the Puerto Ricans are right here in the first and second row. <laughs> it's true. We got 90% of the Puerto Ricans in the front row. It's great. I need the help. It's great. All right. So we come to Christ. We're hoping for forgiveness. So let me tell you a story. Let me tell you the story. Jesus is invited, as we're going to read, Jesus is invited to a house, a person who has power and authority and money and everything that you could want. He has the respect of the people in his society. He invites Jesus because Jesus is a teacher and he's kind of becoming a big deal. And then a woman comes in who has a reputation. You understand what I mean when I say she has a reputation. Many of us have found ourselves as people with a reputation. That before you get on the block, they know what you've done. And she comes and she walks in. And she is overwhelmed and doesn't know how to respond. And she responds the only way someone could who's had their sins forgiven, who knows how bad they are and knows what they deserve, but gets something different. And that's where we find our Jesus. Would you stand with me at the reading of God's word? Now, the reason, the reason that we stand up at the reading of God's word is not because it's like holier than anything else or anything like that. The reason we stand is because sometimes we got to be reminded that God's word has authority over our lives even more so than how we feel. I can tell you that many of us have walked in this room feeling a great deal of shame, knowing that our families don't forgive what we've done. Many of us have walked in here perhaps having sinned against our spouse and not yet experiencing the forgiveness of our spouse. Many of us have walked in here knowing how bad we are but not knowing how good Jesus is. And so we stand because when we read God's word, we remind ourselves that he's bigger, he's better than our past. He's bigger and he's better than where we're at. He's bigger and he's better than what we feel about ourselves. And so we stand because it's an awesome thing to hear truth finally speaking into the lies of our hearts. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. 
when one of the Pharisees, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. Amen. This ends the reading of God's word. Many times when we go before people in authority, we wonder how they'll respond to us. We hope with mercy, but many times we are met with something other than mercy something other than forgiveness. And we can translate that to our dealings with God. Jesus is at this home. Now, their homes are different than ours. We live in a society that when you have a party, it's generally closed off. If you grew up in my neighborhood, it's a little bit different. It was a little bit, um, it was kind of changed from that. Um, if you grew up in my neighborhood and there was a party, everybody knew you were having a party, right? <laughs> Doors were open, um, you know, the, the, the volume was loud. You know, it, it, was, it was pretty ruckus, right? Um, but most, for the most part, we, grew up in, we grow up in a society where if you're having a party, nobody knows that your doors are closed, that sort of thing. Well, th this guy was this Pharisee. Um, what's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is uh, someone with uh, sort of religious authority. If you think of a, a pastor, you have an idea. If you think of a priest, you have an idea of what a Pharisee was. They were the religious experts of the day. And this Pharisee, he was uh, well-established. He had resources and finances. He had a title and clout. 
And so he probably had like a portico, like, like a little, if you think of like a deck, you know, um, and when he would eat or have a dinner party or something like that, he would be out there and people from the outside could come into the, where that deck is and sit down quietly and listen to the great teacher that was there. That's a normal thing. That would have happened. And so Jesus is at this Pharisee's house at his request. This happens three other times, or two other times, three times in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus is invited by the Pharisees. And all three times, it ends badly. Like it doesn't end positively, which is a real, um, which is a real cautionary tale, a real cautionary tale for people who love Jesus like me, religious leaders, or maybe those who have been so exposed to the gospel, so uh, serving in the things of God, that we can just know more than our heart um, has grown. And so this Pharisee is there, Jesus invites Jesus, and people are coming in to listen to the new rabbi, the new teacher, talk about the things of God. This woman, she wants to come in. She comes into the house, and her only motive is to anoint Jesus with perfume. She has uh, this perfume. Now, this woman, she's known as a sinner. She has the reputation of one who has sinned greatly. What has she done? We don't know. Many commentaries say that she was a prostitute. The text doesn't say. Maybe she was a prostitute. Maybe she was a serial adulterer. Maybe she's a fornicator. Maybe she's, maybe her husband was a great sinner and she is connected to him in that way. We don't know, but we know that her reputation is one as don't be around her. When you see her walking down the street, cross the street. She is not one who will elevate your reputation. She is one who will bring your reputation down. If you're caught hanging out with that kind of a person, nothing goes well. She is a sinner. And everybody knows it. And she knows it too. And she walks in there, and she has this alabaster uh, jar. It's really expensive perfume. This is probably the only thing that she has of value. And she comes and she's going to bestow this thing of great value unto Jesus' feet. She walks to Jesus and here's what happens. You see it here. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Pause right there. She goes, so Jesus, it's, it's not like, you know like the tables that we have today that we, where we eat? Um, you sit down you, uh, at the chair and then you sit and you eat and everybody's kind of facing each other. This is not kind of the way they ate. It was they reclined at it. So you were more like laying down on, a, on, on like a... I don't know, I want to say mattress, but it's not a mattress. It's like a couch where you rest your elbow and you eat with the other hand. You see that? So you rest usually your left uh, elbow on it. You eat with your right hand, and that's how you got on. So Jesus' feet, if you could imagine, if, if you're, let's imagine you're the woman. Jesus is 
sort of laying down this way with his feet coming out that way. She walks in and sees Jesus and loses it. Which, by the way, is an appropriate response to Jesus. She sees Jesus and her, her point is to wash his feet with the perfume, to anoint him. She can't bring herself to it. She loses her mind. She sees him, and all she can do is weep. There's no time for being cute or fashionable. There's no time for being uh, reserved and controlled. You know how sometimes we can come to a service like this, be confronted by Christ, start crying and going, well, get it together, get it together. The people alongside of you are looking at you. Or how sometimes we can go to the service and even look disdainfully at a person who's raising their hands up to Jesus, who's shouting in an animated way. We can go, oh man, that person needs to calm down. That person needs to relax. And what you don't understand is what this woman understands is that she's guilty, deserves punishment and death. And she's looking at the one who has forgiven her sins. She's not looking to get her sins forgiven. She's looking at the one who has forgiven her sins, the one who has already granted forgiveness. Now, we're not told. We're not told that moment when Jesus forgave her sins. It was sometime in the past, and she's responding to it. Now, you go, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Her sins are forgiven as a result of her response. No. If you look at the text, it says this, if you go down, if you go down uh, to, I should underline these things. Um, there it is, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have what? Forgiven. Been forgiven. As her great love has shown or has demonstrated. In other words, she's not looking to Jesus in hope that she's forgiven. She's looking to Jesus because she's been forgiven. She goes as a forgiven one, knowing, knowing that she's been forgiven, and yet when she's confronted by Christ, she lets it go because it just is overwhelming. Because when you know you're as bad as you know that you are, when you see Jesus and you experience him in that way, there's no other response but deep emotion. And so she's standing, and if you can imagine, right, his feet are, are there, and she's just there, and she's frozen because he's so glorious, and he's forgiven her so deeply. Let me just pause here for a second. Many of us have come from a background who's not dissimilar to this woman's background. Many of us have come from a background where our background, where nobody needs to convince us of our sins. Nobody needs to convince us. Some of us, we need some convincing. But some of us come from a background where we just, no excuses. It's one of the things that I'm learning how to tell my son now, my, my, not my older son, my, I hope not my older son, my, 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 um, my, my younger son. I tell him, I go, David, why did you do this? And he'll always start with excuses. But, but, I didn't hear, but, which is a lie. But, but, you know, whatever. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. Did you ever have to teach your children to lie? No, I didn't have to teach mine to lie either. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's, they're naturally good at it. And so, and so my son, 
I'm telling you, no, 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 no excuses, no excuses. When you come before Jesus and you have no excuses, and you recognize the depravity and the sin that you find yourself in, and listen to me, and you're confronted with Jesus, you lose it, she lost it, she's crying at his feet, and then she goes, oh no, you could see the progression, she's like, oh no, I'm weeping, and it's like ugly cry, not Denzel beautiful cry, it's ugly cry. You know how like Denzel does that one tear thing? I wish I could do that. Not that. It's ugly cry. She's crying on his feet and his, she's making a mess and she's just freaking out. Like she's making a scene. And you know how like you don't know how to stop once you start? This is where we're finding this woman. Look at how it goes. It just like, it devolves, right? She goes, as she stood behind him at his feet, what did she do? Weeping. She began to what? Wet his feet with her tears. Then what? Then she wiped them with her hair. And so what she does, and by the way, this is scandalous. For this woman to take off her, uh, to take off to her, her hair, to pull her hair down, this is as inappropriate as you can imagine. This is, uh, what, what would be, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what would be like inappropriate like this. Walking, walking in this room with like a, a two-piece bathing suit. <laughs> that would be inappropriate, right? Makes sense. Guys, walking in this room with a Speedo, that would be inappropriate. You get the sense, right? It's like, no, you don't do that. Like, you don't even have to explain. You just go, you, you, you go, what, what's wrong with you? Like, nobody does this, right? Well, that's how scandalous she's being in this moment. That's how scandalous she's being. And so she takes her hair. And in this culture, letting your hair down is only something you did with your husband. And so she lets her hair down. And she goes down. And she starts wiping his feet with her tears. I, I mean, or rather, she's wetting his, his feet with her tears and wiping it with her hair. Then she, you got to understand, Jesus has been walking not on paved, like, concrete roads. He's been working, walking on dirt-filled roads, filled with everything that you got. Just the other day, I was running, and there must have been a horse because there was, um, like, massive pieces of manure in the place that I was running, right? I can't imagine living in a place where that's the norm and not, you know, not being able to know that, dirt and poop mix and all that other stuff and stepping in it with sandals and all that other stuff, not having socks or shoes. It's a gross thing. She's kissing his feet. I'm trying to paint a picture here. She's crying, wiping, kissing, and then she goes, oh yeah, I was supposed to come here to anoint his feet. What's awesome, listen. Jesus doesn't respond to her being so inappropriate in that moment because she knows because he knows that her response is out of thanksgiving gratitude affection because when you've been saved by Jesus you don't mind looking silly in front of Jesus and so she looks silly in front of Jesus because she's been saved by Jesus. She doesn't work for her salvation, but she's grateful in her salvation, and she responds to him in this way. And so she starts pouring this perfume on, on his feet. 
when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Now, Jesus answered him. What's hysterical is that he didn't say anything. Could you imagine? Could you imagine like sitting across the table from Jesus and him going, yes, that's true. And you're like, what? It's like, oh, it was a thought that you had. And he's answering your thought. That's incredible. Jesus is not only proving that he's a prophet, but he's proving that he's something a little bit more than this, as the text will allude to towards the end. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a king. He's more than a priest. He's something more beautiful. He's everything that you've longed for and hoped for, but never dared believe could be true. He's the one who forgives the sinner, the sinner who sinned like you, the sinner who sinned worse than you, the sinner who doesn't even understand the depth of his sin. And listen to me. There is, let me just pause for a second. There is a sense where we can come in understanding this and then we come to a church like this for a little while and then we get civilized. And we become like this Pharisee. And we become people who are like, ay, calm down, don't worry, no hay pa tanto, easy. Relax. Don't get so worked up for Jesus. I'm telling I got to work on this in my own heart. We have this from time to time. Someone will come from another Pentecostal church, and then what they'll do is they'll run up to the front. My first thought is, when you catch the Spirit, why doesn't the Spirit ever lead you to the back? That's always my first thought. Always. Right? And it's a wrong thought. It's a wrong thought. I don't know what kind of pain Jesus has delivered that person from. You don't know the shame that Jesus has delivered others from. If someone who has been saved is acting silly in the presence of Christ, now, yeah, no, let's leave it there. If someone who is saved is acting silly, our first response should be, got it. How much have you forgiven them? And then, how much have you forgiven me? Maybe I need to join them. Maybe I need to start losing my mind. Maybe I need to let go of my hair. But the Pharisee is too, he's too, he's too civilized for that, as many of us are. The Pharisee says that she's a sinner and Jesus is responding to his thoughts. He goes, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now, this is an important thing. Jesus is confronting Simon. He's confronting Simon on his false beliefs. This is a confrontation, and Simon receives the confrontation by alluding to Jesus' authority. He said that's why he calls him teacher. So when Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you, he's, he's trying to correct Simon. That's the point of him telling. It's like a, a precursor. To the, there's a correction here. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher Jesus. So he's receiving Jesus as a teacher, as a person with authority. And then Jesus tells him this story. I love this. Two people, over, um, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And then Jesus says, you judged 
correctly. Now, just pause for a second, okay? This is really big. Jesus gives them a thing. Now, the parable is not, and, and actually, let me read further. Then he turned toward the, no, I got to say that one. So the, 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 the parable is not someone who really needs a lot of forgiveness and someone who just needs a little forgiveness. That's not the point of the parable. Here's the thing. Back then, when you owed somebody money, you owed them money, you had to pay it back. If you did not pay it back, you could literally go to jail for not, like debtor's prison. You could be, so let me ask you something. If you're in jail for owing someone 500 denarii, where are you? Okay. If you're in jail for owing somebody 50 denarii, where are you at? Doesn't matter. You're still in jail. And so there are some of us who in this room, Jesus is trying to make a point. Perhaps some of you are overachieving sinners, right? You are 500 denarii people, right? You owe big time. And some of you are uh, um, below average sinners. You only owe Jesus 50 denarii. What do you deserve? Anybody know? Yeah, you deserve that jail thing, right? Right, right. It's exactly right. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. The fact is, is that we're all in the same boat. Trying to save yourself. And this is shocking for some of us because we go, we go, no, 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 I'm a good person. No. No, you're not. You're a good person. Let me tell you what. You're a good person like a good swimmer. Here's what I mean. If you're the best swimmer in the world, I could barely swim, right? I could barely swim. I could, I could swim just enough to not drown for a short period of time, right? So if you are the greatest swimmer the world has ever known, and you said, and I said, I'm going to swim the Atlantic Ocean. You and I would have the same end. I maybe a little sooner, but your end would be no different. We both die on that trip. Here's my point. Here's my point. Our sin, whether it's the Indian Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific, our sin, whether it's Lake Michigan, none of us are swimming across it. Our sin is greater than we could bear. And so if we just see that this is why it's so important. You know, okay, listen to me. Do you know why we don't talk about self-esteem in this room? The reason we don't talk about self-esteem in this room is because the problem is is not that you don't have enough self-esteem, but that you have too much. That's why you do crazy things. But let me just say this about self-esteem. The Christian comes at self-esteem in this way, that I am worse than I think. And you go, how is that esteemable? Well, because I'm loved more than I could imagine. And if I'm loved more than I can imagine, then my esteem is no longer in self, but in the Savior. Do you see? So that when I do something that's false or do something evil or do something that makes me think less of myself, my 
the basis for my esteem has never been in me, but has been in Christ. And so I can still walk with joy and freedom and peace in Christ because he's forgiven me. Listen, 500 denarii, 50 denarii. Lake Michigan, Atlantic Ocean. You You can't overcome your sin. You need your sins forgiven. Jesus says, you know why she has responded this way? Because she recognizes how deeply in debt she is. Do you know why you don't respond to Jesus in this way? Because you don't recognize it. Do you know why when you're confronted with sin, something you know is sin, nobody has to convince, convince you it's sin, when you're confronted with sin at the possibility of doing it or not doing it, do you know why you go, ah, he'll forgive me, or you throw some other line like that? Do you know why you do that? You do that because you don't recognize the profundity of your sin. You don't realize how badly, how badly in debt you are. Well, this woman responds in a way that helps her to see. Then he turned toward the woman. Now pause. This is so amazing. I saw this and I was just blown away. He turned toward the woman. Do you know the whole time during this meal, while she's washing her feet with his hair, while she's making this scene, Jesus has not turned to her. She only has his back. At this point, he stops looking at the Pharisee face to face because he's been trying to explain something, but the Pharisee's not trying to hear it. And so he turns to her and he says, I'm going to give you my face. I'm going to turn my face, my favor. I'm going to turn my relationship. I'm going to turn this dinner meal on its head. I'm going to give you my attention and affection. She turn, he turns to her and he says, do you see this woman? And he's looking at her. I mean, she can't even look up. She's wiping and pouring and crying and wiping and pouring and crying. She's just a mess. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered your house has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Pause. Now listen to me. This is super important. You know why? Because everything that Jesus pointed out that he should do, He didn't have to do. Why? Why would Jesus point this out if he didn't have to do it? Listen to me. In in that society, the servant, someone could have a servant to wipe your feet, but it wasn't mandatory. And it was only the work of the servant. It was the lowest paying job. The anointing with oil Not necessary with guests that come over. You could do that with a super honored guest. You could go overboard like that, but it wasn't like mandatory. You know, like when you come into my house, you'll you'll probably get a hug and a kiss, right? That's just everybody gets that, right? But this wasn't like a hug and a kiss. Jesus is going, you didn't like take my shoes off and rub my feet. Jesus is asking for something above what is normal. And that's the point. 
The point is, is when you're around someone who has forgiven you this much, who recognizes when you're around someone who sees you as you are and yet bestows upon you the forgiveness that you desperately want but not sure you're going to get, when you're around that person, you respond to them in exceedingly grateful ways. He didn't respond in crazy, over-the-top ways because he didn't experience a crazy, over-the-top, he didn't know he was crazy, over-the-top sinful. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Now listen, here's the point. How does Jesus respond to those without power? How does Jesus respond to those? Well, two ways. <laughs> to the ones who think they still have all the power and they're pretty good, Jesus leaves them with a question, or rather with a statement. He says, but whoever been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus lets it hang in the air with her, though. So if you're a person, and you're in this room, here, here's what it is. You're a person, you've been coming to church for years, years. You've been, you know all the songs. You know, when we say, turn to such and such, you got your Bible and you're like, you're like, fast. You don't need no stinking screen. You're good, right? Right? And here's, listen to me. And you can come and you can be unaffected by Jesus. It's like being unaffected by a hurricane. It's like being unaffected by a tsunami. But you go, oh, I've seen tsunamis enough. I've seen so many tsunamis. I've seen so many hurricanes. It doesn't affect me. For those of you who are here and who think, listen to me, that going to church makes you a Christian, I want to tell you, or doing religious duties makes you a Christian, or being a good person makes you a Christian, I want to shake you out of your, I want to shake you out of your stupor. Amen. And I just want to go, please, I beg you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Amen. You've, been, you've been for too long relying on your own righteousness. Do you know what your self-righteousness does? It defends you. Think about this. Your self-righteousness defends you from Christ's righteousness. Because you don't need Christ's righteousness. Why do you need Christ's righteousness? You have your own righteousness. No, no, no. no. Don't, don't, don't do that. Listen. Come to him. Admit you're as bad as you are. Come to him. Secondly, secondly, if you're like this woman, enjoy him and know that you can come to him because he's forgiven you much, because that forgiveness has been shed abroad in your heart. You can come to him with great joy. We come to him as broken people. People who do not deserve the love, but get the love. People who do not deserve the mercy, but get the mercy. People who do not deserve the affection and relationship, but get the relationship and the affection. We get Jesus. Amen. Jesus then turns to her and says, I love this because he affirms what's already true. He goes, your sins are forgiven. <clears throat> then the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? 
who even forgives sins. Now, just very briefly, this is important. Because this question is the very crux, is at the very heart of the gospel. Who is Jesus? Who does Jesus think he is? That's what they're asking. Who does Jesus think he is? Here's the answer. God. You go, I can't receive that. You go, I can't receive that. Listen, here's what you can't receive. You can't receive that God is so crazy, crazier than a woman who's pouring tears down on the feet of Jesus. God is so crazy that he would leave his heavenly abode and come down to earth and be considered uh, mocked and beaten. God would do all that so that he could have relationship with you. That's why there's no amount of crazy that you could return to God that, w that will be nearly as much as how crazy God is in turning his face towards you. God has turned his face to you. Who is this guy? He's God. They know that he has to be God because the Bible speaks about the only one who could forgive sins is God. You go, how could you possibly believe that? How could you possibly believe that? Listen to me. The scriptures go, say this. The reason that only God can forgive sins, you go, wait up, that's not true. I can forgive sins. Someone sins against me. I forgive them. I forgive sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. If you raped one of my children, you have not just offended my children. You have not just sinned against my children. You have not just harmed my children. You have not just done an evil thing to my children. You have done it to me. That's easy enough to understand. What do you think happens when you've sinned against harm and done evil against one of God's kids? Only he can forgive sins. And so here God comes an incalculable distance and does the most foolish thing in the world. The eternal God becomes mortal man. And he says, I extend this forgiveness to you. How? How could this God turn from his back and turn his face to this woman? How could he do it? Let me tell you how. Because just in a little while after this point, the Father in heaven will turn his back on Christ. Jesus will have had nothing but fellowship with the Father. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, eternal forever. God, the Father, who has eternal communion, huggy, kissy, close to God the Son. Faces are turned towards each other. Intimacy like you and I can't possibly understand. The Father goes from turning his face to Christ and giving him comfort at the Garden of Gethsemane to turning his back on Christ in the moment of his crucifixion. The only way Christ could turn his face towards her is because the Father turned his back on him. Christ suffered the indignity and the punishment that she deserved 
so that she could hold her head up high knowing that the face of God is turned towards her. God did that at the cost of hanging his head low and feeling the Father himself turn his back on him. What does that mean for us? Let me tell you this. That means you're living too civilized. That means you and I don't understand the great, great gift that God has given us. You and I can't see the amazing grace that has touched our hearts. You and I don't get, listen to me, listen, listen to me, listen to me, habitual relapser, listen to me. You have no idea the deep forgiveness that is for you. You go back and go back and go back and go back because you don't understand how deeply loved you are and how much of himself he wants to give to you. Listen, listen. Those of you without, I mean, good night. What are we going to do? We could, talk about, we could talk about you pornographers in the room. We could talk about you um, um, people with eating disorders, you know, who you just, because you, you, you try to find your comfort in food. And so you eat so much, but then you go, oh, I can't feel comfortable. And so what did you do? You, you, you throw up so that you could feel better. And you're all because of this worshiping that you do of your figure. You want to stay a particular weight. Some of you young people, maybe old people, you got to wear long sleeves during the summer. Because you have so much self-loathing. And you just... You feel like you have to punish yourself. It's the only way you make yourself feel alive. Others of you who are right now living in sin, the reason you choose to keep your address in sin is because you have not experienced the deep, profound, prophetic, forgiving, merciful, kind, loving embrace of Christ. The problem isn't that we're in our church, too, uh, too religious. The problem is, is that we're not religious enough. The problem isn't that we love God too much. The problem is, is that we don't love God enough. Beloved, so how does, how does God respond to the powerless? And just in case you, I didn't make a good case, the powerless means the person sitting in your seat. God responds to the powerless with mercy affection, sacrifice, and love so that when you go out here and you blow it, you can find that his loving embrace draws you close and you could get reaffirmed over and over and over again. And when you do good, your identity is not in your clean time or you're doing good or anything else, but your identity is in the one who saved you, who took the punishment that you deserve. So our response is to walk the response of the powerless is to walk in the power that God gave them. Amen. The power of forgiveness. And if, so what happens? Wife res, reminds you. Husband reminds you. Boss reminds you. Mom reminds you. Kids remind you of how lousy you really are. You know what you could do? You could step into that pain and start saying things like, rather than going, no, but I'm a changed person. Hey, man, that's not, that's who I used to be. I rebuke you, Satan, because that's not why I accept anymore and like all that stuff, right? You don't have to do that anymore. You know what you could do? 
you could rest in your identity in Christ going, this is true. What you're saying is true, but there's been another identity that's been spoken over me. You have turned your back on me, but there's one who's turned his face on me. So now because he's turned his face to me, I can turn my face to you. And I can walk into it and go, I know my adultery hurt you. Tell me more about how much it hurt you. Tell me more about how much that wounded your soul. I know that my relapse hurt you. I know that not being there for you and you going into the foster care system, I know that that wounded you and that left scars for life. But there has been one who turned to me. And so I want to feel your pain because there was one who took my shame. I want to feel your, I want to experience your hurt because there was one who took on my hurt. I want to, I want to feel hurt and pity and harm because there was one who took harm for me. It changes absolutely everything. And so go, go, go in the power that Jesus has turned his face towards you. Experience the freedom from shame and, the, and remember, don't you ever remember, that the powerless get to walk in the power of his forgiveness. Now, there's a bunch of y'all who haven't received Jesus, and my question to you is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Just tell them how bad you are. Receive. Look, 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 look. You know, you know you're either one. You're either, the fifth, you're either the Pharisee or you're the sinner, whichever one you are. And you're both under debt. So I don't care if you're a good little boy or girl, just a minor sinner, or a bad little boy or girl. You need Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And find that you don't get wrath, that he takes the wrath for you. And then instead, he gives you mercy.